What is up, everybody? Welcome to Season 3 of the Jake Podcast. It is Wednesday, April 24th, my favorite time of the year. We have the NFL Draft this weekend. We have Avengers Endgame coming out tomorrow. We have uh, Game of Thrones is really getting into its stride. NBA playoffs, NHL Stanley Cup playoffs, the Masters just happened. So many great things happening at this time of the year. I can't cover it all. I'm going to try to get to it quickly today because uh, I did promise my girlfriend I would make it a quick, quick podcast because it is our dating anniversary, our one-year dating anniversary, so I'm going to go celebrate tonight, but before she gets home from work, recording this quick podcast. So we'll see if I can keep this short. I have a couple things I want to get to today, but we do know this is my favorite time of year, so a lot to get to. Um, I'll start off. Right off the bat, let's jump right in. Uh, you might notice, still got the same intro song of uh, Endgame, but I thought it was very fitting considering Avengers Endgame comes out tomorrow night, Thursday night. Uh, so I figure I'll keep it around for one more before introducing my new intro song next week. Uh, but it is season three. You guys know I always start my podcast seasons right before the NFL draft. This is my sport event of the year. Sadly, I won't be watching night one, or at least a good amount of it, because I will be seeing Avengers Endgame at 6 o'clock on Thursday night. So, excited for the movie, kind of bummed to be missing most of night one, but hopefully when I check back in, uh, who knows, I might actually watch on delay. I might try and avoid everything I can and just watch it super late at night and kind of fast forward through some... uh, through some talk and just uh, get the picks, you know, in time like that. But we shall see. Uh, before getting to the draft, though, I want to save that for last. We're going to get to the entertainment side of things. Uh, really excited for Endgame tomorrow night. Uh, I am, I, I'm just like over the moon. I, I am not going to spoil anything when I review it next week. I will likely see it two times by then. And when I review the movie, I will be very clear about spoiler warning and stuff like that because I am all about the Avengers uh, don't spoil the endgame hashtag that's running around. Uh, it's going to be tough. I, I I know people are already putting out reviews, reactions, and all that stuff, and it's going to be on YouTube, so be careful. Don't click on anything because it is so easy for this to get spoiled. I got the movie spoiled for me last year when it was Infinity War as I was walking into the theater. So now I'm going to go early enough and hopefully not be distracted by anyone. I might be listening to music all the way up until the previews just to make sure no one ruins it for me. But anyway, really excited for Avengers Endgame tomorrow night, 6 o'clock, and I will be reviewing it next week. Now, uh, the one thing I want to do to cover this, uh, I was you know super pumped up about the, the movie coming out that I was like, you know what, I want to do... A rundown of all the movies. My girlfriend and I have been re-watching all of them recently. Uh, she still has Doctor Strange to go, but that's it. We, we made it through them all. We watched Ant-Man and Ant-Man 2 from like 11 till like almost 4 a.m. one night. It was insane. Maybe not that long. Maybe it was like 3, 3.30, but still, we, we just couldn't get enough. And we just, on a Saturday night, we just watched both Ant-Mans. But I'm going to give it a little rundown starting with my least favorite and why, and then going all the way up to number one right before seeing Avengers Endgame tomorrow night. So 
of the 21 Marvel Cinematic Universe movies that have come out, my bottom movie is Thor 2. Uh, it's not all that terrible. I know everyone looks at bottom and says, oh, it must be awful. It, it's just not that good. I know it's somewhat important, so I wanted to bump it up a few notches. Like, it's more important than any of the Iron Man movies in terms of uh, the Infinity Gauntlet and the Infinity Stones and stuff like that because it has the Reality Stone. But it's just uh, not that great of a movie. The bad guys are the Dark Elves. And uh, I, I don't know. It's just uh, it, it's a very forgettable movie. These bottom five, to be honest, aren't all that great. But it still has some redeeming qualities about the movie. And... Uh, who knows, maybe one day I'll bump it up a little bit. I uh, I do have it right around these next couple. Uh, the next one is Incredible Hulk. Uh, obviously, it was so long ago, it being the second movie in the MCU. Uh, it had a different Hulk, and not that Ed Norton was any bad at it. It's just that it was so far removed, and it doesn't really have much to do with this. They've changed so many things since then. It just seems a little out there in terms of what the MCU is going for. Number 19, I have Iron Man 2. Uh, don't like this movie. I don't like the bad guys in it. Again, it just doesn't feel that relevant. Um, a couple of the things seem just like out of place. Tony Stark is just coming into his uh, like into his suit there, basically. Because you know in the first movie, there's a lot of changeover with him. But in this one, I don't know. It just It, it didn't really have its footing for me. Number 18, Iron Man 3. Uh, slightly ahead of Iron Man 2, only because I thought the bad guy, even though the Mandarin kind of sucked, uh, I thought the acting was really good by Ben Kingsley, and I thought the acting was really good by uh, Memento, um, whatever his name is, uh, Pierce. Uh, so, you know, still though, I have it in that lower range. And then number 17 is Thor, the original. It's just so different from the current Thor we have, that it's like watching a completely different movie out of this realm. Uh, they do give us some important information with Odin, but again, bad guys are the the Frost people, the the giant Frost people, and um, I don't know, it just, uh, it just wasn't all that entertaining. But anyway, that's 17 through 21. I basically have that as a tie for the last spot because those are just movies that I don't like rewatching. These next 16, though, I enjoyed rewatching. So it's basically a tie for 17 with those five movies Thor, Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3, Incredible Hulk, and Thor 2. Number 16, Avengers Age of Ultron. Uh, a lot of people would expect an Avengers movie to be higher, but to be honest, this one. Not all that great. Uh, again, the the best part about it is the entrance of the Mind Stone and just the importance of that and kind of learning about it. But Vision, it's Vision's worst movie. Um, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver weren't any good in it, even though they were introduced as new heroes. And it just you know wasn't all that entertaining. It was a lot of the Pinocchio jokes from. Uh, uh, James Spader as Ultron, and uh, I don't know, the trailer was better than the movie, to be honest, and the Avengers kind of just, you know, fell flat in this one after a great debut. Uh, number 15, Ant-Man and the Wasp. I actually, I, I liked Ant-Man and the Wasp, I just uh, thought it was a little crazy and a little out there at times, and like you're going to see, and like I said with, you know, the last one, it's just tough. Now all of these movies are good. 
I did like Ant-Man and the Wasp, though, and with the Quantum Realm possibly being a part of the next movie, it was important to the storyline. So, uh, But outside of understanding the Quantum Realm and outside of, I thought, Michael Pena and T.I. were pretty funny add-ons to the cast, um, it, you know, it was a big, it was kind of a yawn at some times. Number 14 is Iron Man. I, uh, I, again, I don't love the Iron Man movies because they don't seem all that important to the Infinity Stone uh, storyline. But again, this was a big moment for the MCU universe. And uh, this was a great rebound for Robert Downey Jr. to kind of take on Iron Man. And then they made Iron Man comics look more and more like Robert Downey Jr. because of it, because uh, of the success. And, uh, you know, good for good for Kevin Feige and everyone involved to take a shot at this because this was the big moment for the MCU was how big Iron Man landed because Iron Man before these movies was never all that popular. Uh, number 13, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, I actually moved this up upon rewatching it. I thought I disliked it more. Um, I love this character, these characters and this cast. So it's hard to really put it uh, all that low, but uh, um, it was good. It's entertaining. Uh, it's just, I have it as uh, 13. Number 12, Spider-Man Homecoming. I have this lower because of its involvement and how it's not really related to the storyline of the uh, Infinity Stones, but it's the best Spider-Man movie by far uh, of anything that's come before it. And I'm looking forward to Far From Home because I think uh, they did a really good job with this, making all the characters actually look like teenagers instead of 30 year olds uh, i think they stuck to it pretty well number 11 is dr strange uh as complicated as it can be very important to the storyline of the infinity stones and i think benedict cumberbatch really nails this character i mean they, they casted this perfectly and uh outside of it being just it's a little out there still a good movie because uh, it takes such a complicated storyline and kind of makes it understandable. It's like you kind of wish that Inception and like other uh, and Interstellar would take a note from this movie and being like, hey, just because it's really smart doesn't mean it, it has to be like impossible to understand. Uh, number 10 is Ant-Man. Uh, I, I really like what they've done with the Ant-Man movies, even though this one wasn't all that important to everything. It was the introduction of the quantum realm. We see that you can get there by going through like the super small phasing. And, uh, and it, I just thought it was great. Even though the bad guy was a one and done, I thought the acting was really great throughout the whole movie. And it was just, they took a risk again, like Iron Man and like guardians. And they went out and did Ant-Man and they made it a fun movie. Paul Rudd's great. He's one of my favorite, five favorite actors in the world. So uh, kudos to everyone involved with Ant-Man. Uh, number nine, Captain Marvel. One of the newer ones. Captain Marvel was great. I uh, I think I got to re-see it to it put it a little higher, but the top, top eight are going to be really hard to crack because these are some good movies coming up. But Captain Marvel was awesome. The only thing I have a problem with is she seems kind of indestructible, and I, I wish they made her look a little bit like a human because it just seems like oh she's just a god basically like she's and i know she's supposed to be one of the most powerful beings in the universe um it just seems like it's kind of like bringing in a cheat code to beat thanos but we'll see if she even beats thanos number eight captain america the first avenger 
for me, this was really hard to kind of decipher between the Captain America movies because they're all so good. And this one, even though it only involves him and Bucky Barnes for a little bit and Peggy Carter is here and there, it's it's such a great origin tale. Uh, I think it's the best origin storyline and it's also the best like kind of one and done bad guy i know they bring back red skull but he's not like a bad guy again he, he was awesome the space stone made it so important to understand what was going on there and then of course they froze him and they brought him back just a great movie uh number seven is black panther again you get to see just where everything like how good they've made these movies that the more recent movies i'm giving a lot of credit to because they've just gotten really good at making superhero movies over 11 years and the more recent ones have been better because they do more with technology and stuff like that they've done so cool things with the nano parts and with the suits his super suit is probably the best one black panther or t'challa and uh yeah i mean i think i think black panther was i mean pretty freaking awesome i know a lot of people don't want like don't think it deserves the Academy noms and stuff like that. I thought the music was great. The acting was good. The storyline was pretty cool. Uh, it does kind of suck that they had to kill a lot of each other right before Infinity War when you needed as many men as possible. But regardless, that kind of happens in all of these because Infinity War, everything before Infinity War was like, why are you fighting? Thanos is coming. You should got to be fighting Thanos. Number six, Captain America Winter Soldier. Uh... Another really good one. I bumped this up a lot of spots because I forgot just how good it was. Uh, I know in some of the Captain America movies, like, you know, all, he's only fighting people. Like, he's not really fighting Celestials or anyone outside in the galaxy. So it's kind of hard to say, like, you know, they're all humans that he's fighting. But um, in in Winter Soldier, you just you get Falcon has a great entrance to the movie. Uh, it, it starts the whole Bucky Barnes storyline, which I think has been really awesome. And who knows, they might have Bucky take up the shield or take up something because, you know, it's like everyone's wondering which which superhero is going to die. And Chris Evans is the one that keeps on posting like goodbyes and stuff. He's like kind of making it hard to ignore. But uh, who knows, maybe it's a, a switcheroo and maybe Captain America is going to be around for a while. But I thought Winter Soldier, the fight scenes in this one were really great. And uh, just, just a really cool, fun movie to watch. All right, my top five. And this one, you know what, to be honest, it's th these five and it's not that close. Okay, number five is the original Avengers movie. Just an awesome team up. To be able to do this, all, all the, the work ahead of it was like, okay, how are they going to be able to do this movie? You know, you have Thor, you have Iron Man. Yeah, like it, there was a lot of lead up going in to the to the Avengers movie and it was so hyped and it delivered big time. They introduced Thanos in the post credit scene. They made sure you knew this was bigger than just, uh, you know, Loki and an army that he was actually sent there by Thanos. Uh, you saw that, hey, the Mind Stone was in the scepter. The Space Stone was already on Earth, so it was like the real beginning of the Infinity Stones uh, like storyline. And of course, just the team up together was was incredible. It was really awesome. Uh, number four, Captain America Civil War. Love Cap Civil War. The 
only reason this isn't my number one and it's my number four is because the bad guy is really just a troll. Like all like he like he you know blew up a couple things, which sucks, but he was hiding the whole time. And his his like big display at the end wasn't a fight scene. It was by the way, Tony Bucky Barnes killed uh killed your parents and Cap knew about it. Like it's all it's all small potatoes when you look at like the big picture, which is kind of the only complaint I have because it has one of the best fight scenes in any of the Marvel movies, the airport hangar scene, and I think it's awesome. I think it's stupid people would complain that happens at an airport hangar. Like, who cares? It's awesome. Uh, the introduction of Black Panther is great. They make Vision better in this movie. They make uh, Wanda a lot better in this movie, right? uh, Scarlet Witch. Uh, Spider-Man's introduction was awesome, too. You got to see Ant-Man go big. That was great. And uh, you know what? It was just... It, it's it's awesome. I think it's the best Captain America movie, and it's one of the few where they get better as they go along. Number three. This one is so tough for me to put it at number three, but uh, Thor Ragnarok might be my favorite of the movies because it's just so entertaining. They gave it some type of like 80s fun vibe to it. That's what... Uh, I think Robbie from Barstool said that he gave it like they gave it like this 80s weird look, which I loved it. And I think he's right on by saying that. But uh, Thor Ragnarok is the funniest in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it brought in Valkyrie, which was really cool. Korg, which is a fun character. Uh, Waika, Waika Taikiti, I forget how to pronounce the last name, did an awesome job. And I hope they bring Korg back. And I hope to see more of like funny Thor he has made the most strides of any character Chris Hemsworth has been awesome uh with Thor and I would really hate it if we lost him in the next movie because we need like a brand new trilogy around this Thor and maybe Valkyrie and if they bring Loki back and maybe maybe have them interlooped with the Guardians of the Galaxy and do more uh things amongst the galaxy think that'd be awesome because this movie was so much fun and not even to mention Jeff Goldblum for a one and done what an awesome job that he was being his eccentric self. Really funny movie. Really entertaining. It was awesome. Uh, number two, Guardians of the Galaxy. Nearly perfect. Ne- like, I have zero to nitpick about it. They had such a great chemistry between the whole cast. Everyone worked together so well. Uh, I want to see more and more and more of this cast together. Don't know how they're going to do it. In- interesting. Exciting to see how it's going to work, though. And number one is Avengers Infinity War, just because, I mean, it, it's it's so well done. It's the best superhero movie ever. Bringing together 20 movies and, and so many storylines and making it work is incredible. And if Endgame is anything like people are saying, I can't believe how good that's going to be, that it can actually top Infinity War. But sounds like it's gonna. I'm excited. I'm really excited for Endgame. And... Uh, I don't know. What do you think about my list? How uh, do I have some of these too high? Do I have the Captain America movies in the wrong order? You let me know because I am uh, I'm I'm in a, I'm in Avengers and MCU zone right now. So anyway, all right. Um, moving on past the Avengers. Don't want to get too far into this. Gonna do a real quick Night's Watch party. All right. We are two episodes into Game of Thrones season eight. 
There are four episodes left, including this week's episode, which is the Battle of the Bastards. Or, sorry, Battle of, Battle of Winterfell. It's going to be the longest action sequence in any TV show ever. It's the longest Game of Thrones episode ever. And I am pumped. They are obviously going to kill some people off. So that's what I'm going to predict right now. Um, but going over the first two episodes, some people thought it was boring. Those people grow up because they had to set up the action. They had to bring all these storylines and put a bow on a couple things, which is exactly why I think who's about to die is going to die. When anytime they give you like reason to believe things are going really well, they crush your souls. And anytime they tie a bow on something, that means they're ready to end it. Okay. So first death that's coming in the battle of Winterfell is Brienne. Knight, Sir, Brienne of Tarth. Uh, I know it's it's going to suck. She just had her big moment. And typically, when you have your big moment, you die. She's going to be right on the battle lines. I bet she kills a lot of the dead. But in the end, they just they have to kill some of these people. And uh, she got knighted. Her and Jamie had their moment. They came full circle. Their storyline was, was wrapped up beautifully. But I think it's time for her to die. Um, I believe Tormund is also going to die. His role in this show is has come to an end. He wanted to save the the Wildings, and this is the best way for him to do it. If Brienne of Tarth is dead, uh, he loses his love interest. And there's just too many characters of his ilk, of the supporting characters, that not all of them are going to live. Uh, my next up is Podrick Payne. Again, doesn't offer a ton to the show. We got to see him with his voice. We got to see him improving on the battlefield, that he's actually come a long way. That I think they even say he came a long way on the show. Um, so you know what? I think that's time for him to die too. I think Jamie lives. I just don't see his storyline being done yet. I don't think he and Cersei are done yet. Uh, I think the Night King lives. We didn't see him in the previews, which makes me worried that he's not actually at Winterfell and that he's going down to King's Landing. More on that in a minute. Um, other deaths, though. Jorah. I would like to see him die sacrificing himself for Danny. I think it should have been last season, but I think they wanted to tie up things with House Mormont and stuff like that. But I, I don't think that was totally necessary. They could have had him die without meeting uh, the young Mormont girl. Uh, regardless, uh, I think he bites it, you know, protecting Danny somehow. Uh, Theon Greyjoy, also another one. They tied up his storyline. He avenged, like, everything for his sister and all that. He now wants to avenge the Starks. Sansa forgives him. Jon forgives him. I think if he, if he dies protecting Bran, all is forgiven. And uh, I see a lot of the Ironborn dying, to be honest. But it's interesting stuff. It's, uh, I, I mean, oh, my favorite death. Gendry's definitely dying. Arya and Gendry had their moment. We've been waiting for that to see if that would actually become a thing. They uh, did it in the crypts. Kind of weird, but hey, all to power to you guys. It might be your last day on Earth. And we saw in the previews that she's running through the crypts kind of scared. Uh, Arya's never scared. So maybe she just saw Gendry eat it. Maybe she just saw him die. That's my prediction. Uh, I don't think Sansa or Danny die. I think there's a lot more that has to happen with the two of them. 
I think that's the real struggle for the throne. And uh, why did John tell Danny? Uh, I I thought it was such a good storyline for Jon Snow to die without for Jon Snow to die without telling her, right? And if he dies protecting the realm, killing the Night King and the and the White Walkers, and saving all of humanity, and then only for Sam to go up to Danny and say, you know, he was the rightful heir. And then she'd be like, what? Why would he go out? And he's like, well, because he died because he died for what he truly believed in. He didn't believe in the throne. He believed in the realms, you know? And then she gets it, sees that it's not about a throne. It's about the people, learns from his death, melts the throne with her dragons, and and lets the north be wardened by Sansa, and lets her govern the people of the southern of of king's landing she returns home her dragon has two more eggs and uh, that's how the show ends i think that was like a perfect way to wrap it all up because if they're gonna kill john make it worth it but why would he tell her right before battle like it just doesn't make sense although we do know the starks they don't hold secrets they basically blurred everything out so uh, it is very much his stark side of things to just say whatever is wrong to say at that time. I mean, got Ned Stark killed, got Rob Stark killed. It literally got John Stark, John Snow killed before bringing him back. Uh, it's a very stark thing to do to say the wrong thing. Is stark men thing to do. Arya and Sansa are still alive because they don't say the wrong thing. But it's a very stark thing to say the wrong thing, get yourself killed. And uh, I thought saying the wrong thing was a really bad idea by John. Uh, he should have kept that to himself. Why bring that up now? It makes no sense to bring that up to Danny right now. You have a war to fight, and you were things were starting to look good with the North and Danny meeting up, and now poof, it's shit. So what are you gonna do? Um, I'm really excited though for this week. Uh, the the last two weeks were all really good and i think this battle and i don't always it's not always the battles episodes that make me love it like i love the setup episodes i think there's so much depth to the show you don't need fighting for the sh for episodes to be good like the best part of battle of the bastards was danny taking on the slave owners and just the music and the dragons and everything that went into that scene um the Battle of the Bastards, the fight was awesome, but again, John kind of screwed up the Battle of the Bastards, and Sansa had to bail him out, which is why I kind of don't think John's going to end up on the throne at all in the end of this, but we shall see. It's going to be an exciting week of Game of Thrones. I'm really pumped up for it. All right, and finally, before we get to my, uh, the NFL draft, want to do one quick one-minute movie review. This one for the first of Season 3, we're rolling back the clock a little bit. We're diving into Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2. I'm doing a double for you. You know, a special treat because it's uh, one of my favorite weeks of the year. Uh, the reason I watched Kill Bill, this end Volume 2, last week was because uh, my girlfriend had never seen it. She likes Quentin Tarantino movies. And I told her she would enjoy it. It's long at parts, but that's a kung fu movie. And this is Tarantino's take on kung fu. She really enjoyed the movies. And uh, I'm, I'm glad we watched them. So... Movie review starting now. All right, so I love Tarantino movies. They're not needlessly gory like a lot of movies are. People think it's needlessly gory. 
there's an intention with his gory, and it's to pay homage to kung fu movies before him. Uh, it has the volume one has one of the best fight scenes of all time with the crazy eighty eight scene. They do such a good job of wrapping music and intensity of the silence when you're not using music into this movie. And not only is the acting great from Uma Thurman and uh, Lucy Liu, but also the off-screen speaking parts of Bill, which was uh, David Carradine, which was done really well as well. Again, I love all... Uh, Tarantino movies. I think they're phenomenal. Uh, this is right up there at the top. They do a great job of telling background story without giving you too much of like show of showing you their past assignments and stuff. They show you basically one past assignment in each movie, and you still learn plenty with the minimal experience. And Mark Madsen and Michael Madsen. Shoot, I think Mark Madsen was the basketball player. Michael Madsen and what's her face that my girlfriend said wasn't that pretty uh, with the eye patch. Anyway, um, in the second movie, very good bad guys. Like a like a Tarantino movie had some good twists in there uh, about backstabbing on themselves. But again, if you like Tarantino movies, you're gonna love this movie. If you don't, you're probably not gonna like these movies at all because they can be very long very gory but for me that's right up my alley because i have patience i have time and i have the experience of knowing it's not just about spewing blood it's about what this is paying homage to and stuff so uh great movies these kill bill movies are are probably my like third and fourth favorite quentin tarantino movies behind reservoir dogs and pulp fiction yeah you know for a quick top five i would say number one pulp fiction number two Reservoir Dogs, number three, Kill Bill Volume 1, number four, Kill Bill Volume 2, and number five would probably be, oh, see, that's, you know, it's even like kind of like a drop from there, because I wouldn't have Hateful Eight, but uh, I, I think it's kind of a big drop after. Now, I would have uh, Inglorious Bastards as number four, yeah, and then Kill Bill Volume 2 as number five, but a great series. A-minus work from Tarantino and uh, love Uma Thurman. And I think that it's like definitely the basically her her number one role that she's ever done. So uh, that's Kill Bill. Now let's get into the draft. I know you guys have been waiting patiently. The draft is tomorrow. Round one with uh, will be on Thursday. Rounds two and three will be Friday. And rounds four, five... Six and seven will be day three, Saturday afternoon. Now, in years past, I cover this in so much depth because of the Browns' involvement with the number one overall pick. My first year on as, as with this podcast, the Browns were coming off a one in fifteen season and had the number one overall pick, had the number twelve pick, and then parlayed that into two picks in the twenties. So. I took Miles Garrett, Jabril Peppers, David Njoku, all turning out to be very good players. Peppers was used in a trade to get OBJ, but still, very good players. And uh, that's why I started this podcast is because I was so into the draft and I had so much invested in that. 
Last year, of course, they had the number one pick again, and they didn't have a quarterback, and this was a big quarterback draft. They went and got themselves Baker Mayfield. This was huge for me. I was super pumped up, and uh, yeah, so the story goes. So uh, again, and they also had the number four pick where they had Denzel Ward. So I was hugely invested in the draft last year. This year, they traded the number 17 pick away. They're not taking until number 49. But I still have many takes on the draft this year. So I'm not going to just shy away just because the Browns aren't picking first overall and that they're picking 48 spots later. Um, number one, I've been hearing a lot that the Browns might actually trade up into round one. Hope this doesn't happen. I really don't want it to happen. But it's a possibility. We can't ignore the fact that John Dorsey's been one of the most aggressive GMs in football ever since he took over the job for the Browns. When he sees a guy that he wants, that he knows is going to help them, he goes out and he makes a play for him. I mean, Odell Beckham, it sounded like he was the most unattainable player, and we got him. Uh, and he's made big plays for Demarius Randall. And he's gotten rid of guys that he's like, you know what? Even if I'm getting minimal value for you, I don't care. I want you gone. I have other plans. So I wouldn't be surprised if he made a play for a first-round pick. I hope it's not true because I think that's going to cost a lot. And I think we need to start being careful about our spending because right now, the way the team is configured, I think we can make a playoff run as is. So we'll see. It's going to be some fun stuff. So uh, I'll jump right into it. I did my all-Jake team of the year. Uh, it was a really fun season of scouting. And I'm going to do it a little differently last year. I made a very formal offense of one halfback, one tight end, and all that. But I changed up a little bit this year, okay? So uh, the all-Jake 2019 draft team quarterback, Dwayne Haskins. Uh, he's not going to go first overall. He's not going to be the first quarterback taken off the board. But what I've seen from him in this whole draft process, he's the guy I would want to invest in if I need a quarterback. 5-0-4-40, not that fast, but again, he's not that type of quarterback that's going to be running on you. I mean, unless you ask Stephen A. Smith. He is mobile in the pocket. He has a cannon arm. He has really good touch. And I think he's going to be a very good quarterback in the NFL if given the right scenario. Uh, I know Kyler Murray is probably going to go number one overall. It's looking like that. Haskins might even be uh, passed up on for Daniel Jones, which I, don't, I still don't get that. I know he has a little bit more experience, but Mitch Trubisky had no experience, and uh, he went number two overall, and he's looking to be pretty good. You put him in the right system, a guy that can make some plays, he's a good quarterback. I think Haskins can... Uh, Go to Cincinnati or maybe learn behind the Giants uh, or in Denver or even in Pittsburgh or the Chargers. Like He could go and learn for a year and start next year and be a very good situation. So I've got Haskins as quarterback of the All-Jake team. I don't have a running back on the All-Jake offense. Uh, I know that's a little crazy. I know in the NFL you still need a running back even though you're throwing the ball. But you know what? Not on this team. Not in this draft. Uh, Josh Jacobs is probably going to be the only running back that goes round one if a running back goes round one. There's just not to, a lot to love in this running back class. 
and I think it's going to be better next year. So maybe I'll have a running back in next year's class. But this year, no. I've got four wide receivers. Okay. Uh, starting with number one, Nikhil, Car- Nikhil Harry. All right. Uh, I think Nikhil Harry has been the most underrated wide receiver because the only knock on him was that he wasn't fast. And then he ran fast, and people were like, wait, why do we knock him? And they forgot. He has an incredible catch radius. He makes so many contested catches. He runs pretty dangerous routes. And I think he's one of those guys that if you can make him your number one on almost any team because he makes so many adjusted catches to the throws, to bad throws, he's going to have a home in the NFL as a good number one wide receiver. I fear it's going to be in Baltimore. Uh, My number two wide receiver is Hakeem Butler. From Iowa State. I have been in love with this guy ever since day one. Uh, He's huge. He's a monster out there. And he was on a terrible team. Not terrible, but he was on a bad football team. And had never had good quarterback play. So I think if you put him on a real NFL team with a real NFL quarterback, you're going to see this guy really break out and, and bust loose. A lot of people want DK Metcalf to be that guy. But I think it's actually Hakeem Butler. All right, my next wide receiver is Debo Samuel. Another guy, he's going to be top 40 like the other two I just mentioned. But he does nothing wrong. He reminds me a lot of DJ Moore from last year's class. And DJ Moore is the first wide receiver taken. He was you know, first-round pick by the Carolina Panthers. Samuel is a going to be a slot guy. He's he's going to be a good size for a slot guy. He's not going to be tiny. And he just he runs good routes. He can still run away from people even though he never looks like he's fast. He makes a ton of great catches and he's got some attitude and confidence to him that I really like. I think he goes early round 2 to one of those teams that passed on wide receiver in round 1 that is going to say, "You know what? Uh Debo's going to add something to our slot game." and uh, be like a really special player at that position. And then finally, my last wide receiver of the four is Andy Isabella from UMass. Uh, had to have a Cleveland guy on here. And I've liked Andy Isabella from the start. He can just outrun basically anybody. Uh, there's clips of him outrunning Denzel Ward and just flying by him in, uh, in, in high school. So I like... Isabella, he's from Mayfield, Ohio, which is right outside of Cleveland, and Mayfield, obviously, Baker Mayfield. Um, He wanted to go to the Browns, but I don't think that's going to happen. Browns just don't have room for wide receiver right now. They can't be spending a second or third round pick on a wide receiver when they've already got Odell Beckham, Juice Landry, Antonio Callaway, Rashard Higgins, Jalen Strong, uh, Derek Willies showed a little bit last year. Like, it, there's just not room for wide receivers in this draft. Even though I've liked so many of them, it, it just doesn't make sense to be drafting a wide receiver at this point. Uh, but I think if some team gets Isabella, they're going to be really, really pumped because he's not just a slot receiver. He can play on the outside. Everyone wants to put the small white guy in the slot. He's going to fly by you. So be careful. All right. Uh, my O-line. Actually, no. Tight end is TJ Hawkinson. Uh, I know he's the top tight end, but just because you're the best at your position doesn't mean you can't be on the all-Jake team. The all-Jake team is what embodies 
the Jake Brainy style of football. Hawkinson is that. He is the type of football player I wish I was when I was playing in college. Uh, I always saw I had great hands. Hawkinson, great hands. Hawkinson is a more than willing blocker. He is a mauler. He is a sixth offensive lineman out there. Runs decently well for a big guy. And I think he's going to be a top 12 pick. I kind of don't see him making it to the Packers right outside of the 10. I think he goes in that 7-8-9 range and uh, possibly 10 to the Broncos. But I would love to see Buffalo grab him and put him uh, up there with Josh Allen. I think uh, that'd be a really great combo uh, if Josh Allen isn't throwing it way over his head every play. So uh, that's my tight end. And then my offensive line. I went a little different this year. Last year, I went straight up interior guys because that's where the strength was. But my Jake offensive line, I want five linemen, and I'll figure it out later. Okay, My left tackle is Andre Dillard. He is a converted tight end. He is super athletic, and I think at the end of the day, he's going to be the best offensive lineman from this class. He is a already very good pass blocker. I think if he's on the right team, Get him in Houston. Just just Houston. Find a way to pick him up. Or, you know, Giants, go get him too. Go go make this guy your pick because protect your QB. Andre Dillard is the guy. He's going to be able to protect the QB because that's what quarterbacks, you know, the NFL is all about protecting the quarterback and getting the quarterback and getting to the other quarterback. And where Dillard's strengths are, protecting the quarterback. Uh, my next guy, we're going to move inside. Jonah Williams, he can play anywhere on the line, and he did it at Alabama. I don't understand the knocks coming from him, the saying that he's small. He's just as big as like most of the offensive linemen in this draft. His like arms are like half an inch shorter, but we've evaluated that, and we realize that doesn't matter. So I don't understand what the knocks are on Jonah Williams. He can play guard. He can play tackle. Alabama even wanted to play him at center at times. So he's going to be able to play. No matter who takes him, they're going to find a spot for him at whether it's you know any of the five spots along the line. And for the Jake offensive line, he's my left guard. I think he's going to be a first-round pick. I think if he makes it to 17 at the Giants, that would be a nice pick for them. Uh, I think he kind of goes earlier. I wouldn't be surprised if the Jaguars took him at seven. Okay, my center, Alex Bars, Notre Dame. He's injured right now. Apparently his rehab is going great. Look, I had to have Bars in here because I'm – a big Notre Dame offensive line guy. Last year we had Quentin Nelson as my best overall player in the draft, and look at the year he had. Bars got hurt at a really unfortunate time, but if you're drafting and you need an offensive lineman and there's a Notre Dame guy late in the draft, what's the problem? Like, they constantly do well in the NFL. They are NFL's, like, pipeline of offensive linemen right now. You know, you had Ronnie Stanley... Quentin Nelson, the Martin brothers, and uh, and McGlinchey, all in the last like two three years. Bars is underrated because he got hurt and he never really got to fully stand out because there have been so many other offensive linemen kind of casting the bigger shadow in recent Notre Dame years. But I love his work ethic. I love the fact that he's kind of like a mauler and he's nasty. Uh, and you know what? Right now. If you're in the fifth round and you're like, I could draft a guy and kind of develop him, Alex Barr is a great pick. Uh, Moving over to the right side, going with Dalton Reisner. I know he's a tackle, but I think the nastiness that he plays with and the anger and the 
hog maul the attitude. He is my favorite offensive lineman in this class, and he is definitely on the all-Jake team just because he plays a nasty brand of football. Dalton Reisner out of Kansas State. And my other tackle, I'm going with Titus Howard from Alabama State. Uh, I like Andre Dillard, the converted tight end. How about Howard, a converted quarterback, high school quarterback, his redshirt freshman year, he had to walk on Alabama State. They moved him to tight end. And then in the season, he got moved from quarterback to tight end, weighing 240 because they're like, you're a big guy. You're not going to be a quarterback for us if you if you want to play football here. You got to play tight end. So he's like, okay, cool. Midway through the year, they're like, why not move you to offensive line? He's like, well, I only weigh 240, coach. But he moved over there. They started writing him into uh, and at at the end of his redshirt freshman year midway through the year he started starting games because he had to go in because of an injury offensive lineman weighing 240 but he made it happen and he started the rest of the way rest of the season and turns out he's a good offensive lineman he's still learning the position but he's a quarterback he's smart he's played the game and uh Hey, if you want to have a tackle throwback, he's caught touchdowns as a tackle and tight end. So maybe something to check out. I like his uh, willingness to play wherever the coach wants him to. He walked on at Alabama State. He's got a lot of things that make me really like him as an athlete and an offensive lineman. So uh, he might be a second-round pick. I've seen him go as low as the fifth round. I have no idea where he's going to go, but I'm excited because it seems like He's going to get a chance to develop probably as a backup at first and not be expected to start right away, uh, whereas the other uh, Reisners and Williams and Dillard and a lot of these other first-rounders are expected to play right away. Uh, I think he's going to be given a chance to back up. So, And my athlete on offense, uh, I've had DK Metcalf here for a long time, but uh, that's not the Jake style of play. You know, he's he there's so much to not like about his game that I kind of need to go away from DK Metcalf. And I think I'm gonna bring in Mecole Hardman, who is just a flyer around the football team. Uh Georgia has so many good playmakers. It's hard to get one guy the ball a lot. He's really good though, and uh he deserves the ball. And I think if he goes to a team like the New England Patriots, everyone's going to wonder, where was this kid? Why wasn't he higher on draft boards? Well, it turns out because he can fly around. And, you know, he was playing at Georgia where there's only one football and there's a lot of talented players. All right, moving over to the defensive side of things. I want to quickly run through this because we're already at 46 minutes. This did not, this did not cut down like I told my girlfriend it would. Anyway. I'm going with a different defensive front. I know usually you want to do a 4-3 for these type of things. Maybe a 3-4. Maybe you do a 4-4 and 4-4-4 and, and you add a 12th guy. I'm doing it different. I'm going goal line defense. You know why? Because I love the D tackles of this draft. It was hard for me to just pick two D tackles. I needed to get a bunch of them and make this a goal line Alabama defense Shout out Red Bank Catholic, who won the state championship this year on the goal line with a great goal line stand, uh, I think, against Del Barton. And uh, Frank Edgerly, my high school coach, who went back there, got his state finals ring. Good for you guys. 
So to honor them, I'm going with a goal line defense. All right, on the D-line, I have Ed Oliver. I think he is so underrated. I think it's crazy that people are saying he is too small or he's going to fall in this draft. I'm like, this is crazy. He is one of the best players in the draft. And if you if he's a great pick at six, why isn't he a great pick at two? You know, if he's a great player, just take him. He is awesome. He has shown that he plays through a full game. I saw a clip of him on the 103rd defensive snap of the game, and he is still running down running backs. I mean, you can't teach that. As long as he's able to hold that weight in the 280s, he is going to be a terror in the NFL. My next defensive line. Kalen Saunders came on to the draft scene at the Senior Bowl. We're at Western Illinois. I think it was Western Illinois. Um, he was the big defensive lineman that could do backflips. So internet sensation, left go PR right there. And at the Senior Bowl, you saw him, and you were really impressed by everything, and he also had to leave, and people started criticizing him for leaving. Well, he left for the birth of his daughter, but he was able to still do a lot of the draft prep and go see his daughter's birth. I like a lot about Kalen Saunders. He's a big guy with athleticism. Those are starting to uh, be more important in the NFL. You want that interior athleticism at the NFL level, and I think Saunders is going to be a mid-round pick where you're going to get him in the second, third round, so not even a mid-round, still an early-round pick, and he's going to be uh, he's going to be awesome for you. Uh, my next D lineman is Jeffrey Simmons. Sticking with D tackles here. Jeffrey Simmons, he has the high school video that everybody knows about. It's a bad look, but he has answered that question hundreds of times. He has shown the ability to learn from his mistakes because he has been like a very great citizen and community member, and everyone's done their background homework on Jeffrey Simmons. The only problem is he tore his ACL. So... He's going to slip in this draft. I think he still gets picked at the end of the first round. I think a team like the Eagles or the Rams or maybe the Browns move up because they obviously like him because this isn't just smoke. There's fire here. But I think some team's going to take him with a first-round pick and stash him and say just get healthy because he has top five player of this draft written all over him. So it's worth it to kind of sit there and say, you know what, I'm going to take him. No one's going to be surprised if a couple years from now he's the best player from the 2019 draft. They're going to say, yeah, why did he go 29? Because someone was patient. Someone could wait. So if you can be patient with Jeffrey Simmons, I think he's an absolute terror of a defensive tackle and has everything you you need if you want to be an all-pro D-tackle. My next up, another D-tackle. My fourth, Michael Dogby from Temple. Another super athlete isn't in a, on a lot of radars. He's going to be a sixth, seventh round pick, but I love his athleticism. I think he's really going to surprise some people. He'd be much higher if this wasn't such a stacked D tackle class. I've seen him as low as the like 14th defensive tackle in this draft, but there's just so many great interior defensive linemen in this draft. I think he's being overlooked because of his play at Temple and the fact that he, he hasn't like. 
I, I, I don't even know. I don't. I don't really know. He, I know it's a small school, but I think uh, just from watching the tape and learning about him and listening to some interviews with him, I'm a huge fan. All right. Next up, my fifth defensive lineman. Again, we're goal line defense here. And again, I don't need edge rushers. I need big boys. So I'm going to Christian Wilkins. Talk about athlete on the interior defensive line. Wilkins going to be an easy first round pick out of Clemson. He is probably one of the better men in the draft. Uh, he like volunteered teaching. He is a military family guy. Every time you hear him in an interview or you hear someone talking about him, you're like, that's who I want captaining my team. I think if the Miami Dolphins are in the first round and they're, they have a good offer for someone to trade up. If they like an offer, they can trade down. They could take Christian Wilkins at 13. They can take him at 23 if they want, and it would be a great pick because I think Wilkins has what it takes to be a longtime starter in the NFL and a captain of your defense. And my final defensive lineman that I have, I have six defensive linemen, all defensive tackles, Rennell Wren. Arizona State getting totally overlooked in this draft. Um, he's another one where I'm like, you know, if you don't want to spend to get Jerry Tillery or Jeffrey Simmons, or if you don't have one of those top picks to get Quinnen Williams or Ed Oliver, but you still want a defensive tackle that's going to, you know, kind of be a beast for you, I think Rennell Wren's your guy. You can get him in the second or the third round, and you can probably start him right away. I think he's going to be a very good defensive lineman in the NFL, and I think, at least as a Browns fan, I would love to see him uh, wearing the brown and orange. Heard another interview with him. Uh, he's a Jeff Lloyd guy. Uh, he was on the Locked On Browns podcast. I would check that out if you if if you want to hear more about Rennell Wren. Okay, so uh, next level of defense. I'm still keeping it bulky. We are on the inch yard line. I'm going with Zach Allen, Boston College. I love this guy's game. Is he a three technique? Is he a five technique? Is he look, you're gonna put him straight up, make him like a four, a four eye? I don't really know where you play him, but he's the type of player where he's always gonna be on the field and you can move him around and he uses his like he has a lot of athleticism for a guy that looks like he should be a three technique, but he's actually playing the end. And I would really love to see him opposite a speed rusher and kind of be the bull rusher type. He looks like a smart player out there. I really love his game, and uh, he's a Jake Podcast uh, all-defensive guy. Uh, my next edge, yeah, I've got eight on the line of scrimmage right now because we know they're running the ball, and we just want to just beat the shit out of this offensive line, uh, is Montez Sweat. He's dropping in this draft class because of a heart condition. But nobody rose up the draft class like him this year. He was a, like... Second or third round pick for up until the combine. But at the senior bowl, he really showed up and just beat the crap out of every offensive lineman he went up against. He measured off the charts and then he ran a 4 4. This guy is an absolute freak. And if his heart situation and his medical checks out, this guy is an absolute beast and he is going to be a steal for someone. I can't believe he's going to fall. You know, this was a guy that if you went number eight to the Lions, it was like, all right, here you go. That's a first-round pick. That's a top-ten pick. Now, it's looking like one of the Seattle picks in the 20s, maybe Indianapolis, maybe the Patriots or the Packers. 
teams with, you know, the Raiders have three first round picks. Somebody's going to take a risk where they're like, you know what? We have extra picks. We can take a risk on a guy. And I think one of those teams will be, it'll be, like I said, Green Bay, Indianapolis, Oakland, maybe Seattle. Those are the teams that kind of could take a risk in the first round of this guy and say, listen, if his heart is all good and he's a player, he is nasty and he is super athletic and what a steal it would be in the 20s. So I got sweat, especially the way he's raised up the draft. You know, he's worked his tail off to be here. He should be a first round pick. He should be a lot higher than where he's going to go. All right, we're finally moving off the line of scrimmage. I only need one linebacker. This class isn't very deep at linebacker. Uh, outside of the two Devons, there are flaws, major flaws with every linebacker in this class. My, my one linebacker I have on the All-Jake team is Devin White because there's just nothing I don't like about his game. Uh, Devin Bush, there's nothing wrong with Devin Bush. He's going to be a first-round pick. He's probably going to be a top 15, 16 pick. He's going to go to a team. Maybe he goes to the Steelers, the Ravens, and he terrorizes the Browns for years. Maybe he goes to the Bengals, and he's uh, basically the new Vontez Burfitt, but not a crazy psycho asshole. Uh, I think Bush is great. I just think Devin White has a, another gear to him. Like Bush plays with a tenacity, but White plays at like a tenacity running a 4-4. And it's just insane. Like his game speed throw out actual numbers and actual testing scores his game speed is he will find whoever has the ball and go tackle him and there's no one out of his tackling range so i want him as my linebacker my only linebacker on the all jake team because he can cover basically the whole field um and now to the d-backs we're on the goal line so i only have one corner i only have one safety my one corner is justin lane from michigan state Cleveland zone. He woke up feeling dangerous yesterday. He tweeted about it. It was pretty awesome. The Browns want him. I want him. Maybe he's there at 49. If you do mock drafts on the draft network, he's never there at 49. If you do mock drafts on Fanspeak, he's always there at 49. So who knows? He might be their second round pick. I think it would be a great second round pick. He could develop into a starter. You make make him be the fourth cornerback right off the bat and make him earn that spot. Him and Denzel Ward, oh my god, that would be such a great combo of Lane and Ward. But he's a converted wide receiver. He has all the speed you need. He is very physical. He's a smart player. He knows how to read the receivers, which is what I love most about him, is that he kind of anticipates really well, and then he doesn't need to react slow. Like He doesn't need to react because he kind of knows what's happening. He finds himself in the right place, right time. His ball skills are great. I'm a big fan of his game. And he's my cornerback on here. He's not my number one cornerback in the class. He's just my favorite. And again, I need to have a Cleveland guy always. So him and Isabella. And uh, my safety is Taylor Rapp. There's just absolutely nothing sexy about his game, except he's always in the right place. Uh, everyone's comparing him to Eric Weddle. I get that comparison. I'm not going to say that's wrong. Uh, he's always around the ball. He finds just the, he knows he doesn't miss tackles. He's a, just a solid football player, and if I'm on the goal line and on the Jake defense, I want a safety that knows what to do, can be the captain out there, and call out the right thing every single time, knock the ball down if it comes to him. Taylor Rapp's my guy. And my athlete is Darnell Savage. Uh, this I could have gone with a, a million different directions, 
There are a good amount of good D-backs on this uh, in this draft, but Darnell Savage flies. He can play strong safety or free safety out of Maryland, and he hits so hard. He does everything you would want. Like I think he could fit somewhere on any defense day one and just be a starter and an impact player for your defense whether it's at the free safety, the strong safety, maybe he's like a nickel safety hybrid, maybe he's your third linebacker on passing situations. There are so many ways to use a Darnell Savage. He reminds me a lot of Jabril Peppers, except the production seems better. Like Jabril Peppers had moments and he had hype, but Darnell Savage actually has like the tape, it seems like. So... I don't know. I was critical of Jabril Peppers coming out of the draft. He's made some serious strides, and I hope the Giants use him right as a strong safety and not as he was used his rookie year uh, with Cleveland. So uh, last year with Cleveland. Use him the 2018 Browns did, not the 2017 Browns did. So uh, that's my all-Jake offense and defense. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And finally, we're an hour in. Time for my mock draft. I'm going to run through this. This is subject to change, but as of 6, 10 p.m. on Wednesday night, here we go. I got Arizona taking Kyler Murray out of Oklahoma, all right? There's just too much smoke. It's probably going to happen. Uh, San Francisco, maybe they trade it. I don't think so. I think they take Nick Bosa out of Ohio State, the defensive end. They uh, are going to try and right the wrongs of all those uh, missed defensive linemen they've taken before. Number three, this is where the fun starts, okay? I got the Denver Broncos taking Dwayne Haskins, trading up from 10 to 3. The Jets are going to be working the phones. Maybe it's Washington. Maybe it's the Giants. Maybe it's Cincinnati. But I got Denver in this one because I think that's a good spot for the Jets to drop to where they still get a really good impact defender. And the Broncos are like, you know what? We really like this Haskins kid. We think... Of all the quarterbacks in this draft, he's a safer one, even though he hasn't had a lot of production. They don't want to go Daniel Jones. They need a big, Elway needs to nail quarterback. So I bet that's that's what happens. Even though it sounds like Washington is gaining some traction, maybe it's just to get the Giants to take Daniel Jones, but I'm not sure. Uh, number four, Oakland loves this. Quinn and Williams falls right into their laps, and John Gruden gets the best player in the draft. Number five, Tampa. There's a lot of guys available now. Do they take Ed Oliver? Do they take Josh Allen? I think they stick with Devin White. I think they've gone too far down this road to go away from Devin White at this point. He's the new leader of that defense, and I think Bruce Arians loves him and just forgets about it. Number six, the Giants would be smart to go with an impact defender, or an offensive lineman. I know I'm big on go after the quarterback, but these quarterbacks after Haskins and and uh, and Murray, I'd rather trade for Josh Rosen. Much rather trade for Josh Rosen. I'd, I'd rather Josh Rosen than any quarterback in this draft. Maybe, maybe Murray I'd rather have. But I think I'd rather have Josh Rosen than, and, than any quarterback in this draft. Go out, trade your second round pick for him, and then take your first two round picks and get a stud defender and offensive lineman and you win the draft. You win the draft, you do that, Giants. Giants fans, trust me. That's the way to win this draft. However, we're having fun here. And what's fun? Quarterbacks that aren't that good being pushed up the draft because teams get desperate. Daniel Jones, number six, Duke. 
goes to the Giants. Number seven. Now Jacksonville's struggling. They're like, do we go with one of these stud defenders that keeps slipping? I think they still take Jonah Williams, the offensive lineman out of Alabama, because they now have Nick Foles. They need to beef up this offense a little bit. They already have a really good defense, and I think they can they know they can get pass rushers elsewhere. They don't even need a pass rusher at this point. They have a good defense. They're going with Jonah Williams. All right, number eight, I have Atlanta moving up. There's been talk of Atlanta and Detroit swapping picks. I think Detroit says, you know what, there's going to be plenty of guys we like at 14, and I think Atlanta's in love with that Oliver. They go up, they take the defensive tackle out of Houston, and me as a Browns fan, I can sleep knowing that the Browns didn't trade 17 and Ed Oliver away for Odell Beckham. Uh, I think Atlanta loves Ed Oliver, and he's possibly defensive rookie of the year. Actually, that would be my pick. Uh, Number nine, this is where it gets really crazy. Buffalo. Do they take a second Josh Allen? He's the best player on the board. No, I think they go TJ Hawkinson. And they let Josh Allen, the defensive end, fall to the Jets at number 10, who get edge rusher, defensive end, outside number, whatever you want to call it, who get the new captain of the defense. They could have taken him at three and been happy. Instead, they get him at 10. They get a couple extra picks from Denver. Jets, instead of the Giants, Huge winners of the draft, and they get Josh Allen to terrorize Josh Allen uh, from Buffalo. And Buffalo regrets passing on him forever. Okay, uh, Cincinnati goes Devin Bush. I leaked it a little bit before. This is what I think is going to happen. They're going to take a defender that they look at and say, this guy is a menace. This guy is a psycho. He's Vontez Perfect without the dirtiness. Go get him. Very safe pick for Cincinnati, and I think uh, he's a problem for the Browns. Uh, Number 12, Green Bay. They know their window with Aaron Rodgers won't be open forever. They made him highly paid. He still misses games because of injuries. Time to protect him. You don't need to go get a receiver because they can make any receiver good in that offense. Or, well, it's a new offense, so we'll see if they can make anybody good. But I think they have the balls to say, you know what, let's just – Keep on drafting offensive linemen. So Andre Dillard is the pick here, and I love that pick for the pass-happy Matt LeFleur and uh, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Next pick, Houston moves all the way up with Miami. Miami says, you know what? There's going to be plenty of guys still at 23. Houston is desperate. They just saw two offensive linemen go off the board, so they're going to get Jawan Taylor from Florida. We know Jawan Taylor's a much better run blocker than pass blocker. We know he's played right tackle, not left tackle in college, but he projects as the best offensive lineman in this class, and Houston, like Green Bay, has an investment in the quarterback position that it's impossible to ignore. Sean Watson cannot be sacked the amount of times he's been sacked again. It just can't happen. Houston owes it to their quarterback and to their GM. You owe it to yourself, Rick. Go get an offensive lineman. Start protecting your investment at quarterback. You've got receivers. You've got a defense. Protect your quarterback. It's driving me crazy. They take Jawan Taylor. Okay, Detroit drops from 8 to 14. Still plenty of guys here. Brian Burns is one of the least talked about elite players of this draft. Uh, I don't know why he's not getting talk of like top five pick. I think he's better than Josh Allen. I think he's right up there with the elite guys. 
And I think the way Matt Patricia runs his defense, he's going to want like a super athlete at defensive end. And I think this goes really well for Detroit, who trades down and gets an even better player. Good for them. Um, well, not even better than Ed Oliver, but gets a better player than what they could have been taking at eight anyway. Okay, uh, number 15, Washington. They missed out on the quarterbacks. Three of them went in the top six. So what does uh, what does Daniel Snyder do? He gets the most impressively athletic player he's ever seen in DK Metcalf. And the Skins also, I got this going, they trade their second round pick in 2020 for Josh Rosen. And they have the new offense of Rosen and DK Metcalf. They have a lot of money tied up in that position, but Rosen already got paid $11 million last year. So it's easier to swallow that now. And they need a receiver, so they go Metcalf. He's got a lot of work to do. I mean, he is physically the most impressive wide receiver you've ever seen. But his lateral ability does need work. It's not a surefire pick for Washington. It's a bit of a risk. But I love that they trade for Rosen and they take DK Metcalf. Darius Geis didn't play at all his rookie year. They might actually have something after looking very boring yesterday. So moving on to 16, halfway through the first round, Carolina. All right, they've just missed a bunch of offensive linemen. They just missed a bunch of defensive linemen too. Rashawn Gary's still there. Might be a terror to pick him and just add him to that defensive line. But I think they actually take the first corner, the first D-back of this draft and go Byron Murphy out of Washington. Uh, they could go a lot of different ways here. The Carolina's in kind of a tough spot where I feel like the five picks before them are going to take a lot of guys that they were just looking at. They might be a team that might want to move up or move down if they don't get their guy. But in this scenario, I got them taking Byron Murphy out of Washington and shoring up kind of a weakness that they've had. Number 17, uh, the Giants take Rashawn Gary. Uh, they don't get an offensive lineman in the first round, so they're going to have to address that in round two. Maybe a Dalton Reisner, maybe an Eric McCoy, someone along those lines for round two. But Giants fans, you should be happy. I'm not the biggest Rashawn Gary fan. But at 17, I think that's a risk worth taking. Uh, I think you'd be better off taking Josh Allen at 6 or Ed Oliver at 6 and then taking an offensive lineman here. But you went Dan Jones in this one because quarterbacks are getting pumped up right now. And I know David Gettleman likes to get aggressive with his picks. So I wouldn't even be surprised if the Giants got a third first rounder. Gettleman averages 5.7 picks per year, and the Giants have like 12 picks right now. So he's going to get creative, and he's going to move up. He's got targets of guys, and what does he what does he keep on telling us? He believes in Eli. So that would suggest that he's going to build around Eli, but he's also pumping up this Daniel Jones narrative, and there's the David Cutcliffe thing. So I can see this going one of two ways for Giants fans. They either get aggressive and get Daniel Jones, make him sit the Aaron Rodgers way like he said, Green Bay does it, or they go all in with Eli. Six is a elite defensive player. 17 is a offensive lineman, and they move back up into round one, and they get another really good defender, and all of a sudden, it, 
you can see what the Giants are doing here. It's Eli Manning this off. Eli Manning. Eli Manning manning the offense, handing off to Saquon Barkley, protect your investment with another offensive lineman, and improve that defense with some elite talent. I kind of like it if they go that way. All right. Number 18, Minnesota, Garrett Bradbury, interior offensive line of NC State. It sounds like there's a lot of love here. So this is me taking this from a lot of mock drafts I'm seeing. And uh, Minnesota is a team that, they need to protect Cousins. They've got their receivers, and there's really not one here. I mean, I guess you could go Marquise Brown and just really elevate this offense, but I think they really need to work on this offensive line play. They've had some injuries the last few years. I'd like to see them just take a guy that could end up being very, very good in the future. Um, and a starter right away, too. Let's not forget that. Okay, number 19, Tennessee. This is where I got Christian Wilkins going. Uh, Miami, you traded out of their spot, but Tennessee is going to love him. Uh, he's the hometown pick uh, with this draft being in Nashville. I think uh, this is a Mike Rabel pick through and through. You've got a nasty defender with a impeccable work ethic. This almost seems too obvious. They could go offensive line. They could go D-back. But I think with Wilkins being there, this is kind of like the obvious pick for Vrabel. Okay, number 20, Pittsburgh. I got going Greedy Williams. This doesn't feel right because I think Pittsburgh knows he doesn't like tackling. And I don't think they want to take a cornerback that doesn't tackle. However, I know that if one of the Devons was there, they'd take him, but they're gone. And they're kind of set on offense that they're not going to go wide receiver in round one, even though there's going to be a, a couple available at that spot that could help elevate that offense. They like their offensive line. They don't. They don't need to get go running back. So I think this pick is going to be defense, and I think they know. Listen, we keep on missing a D back, and the quarterbacks are getting better in this division, aka Baker Mayfield. So they're going to have to improve their coverage play, and Greedy Williams will do that right away. All right, number 21. I got Seattle's got a couple picks now. They traded away Frank Clark. They got a, a second first-round pick. So what are they going to do? They, they have a lot of questions. They're a moving team. They just signed Russ Wilson to a big deal, but I think they are embarrassed at the way their D-packs have played recently, and they're going to make a big move. They go with... Chauncey Gardner-Johnson out of Florida. And uh, yeah, he can play all over the place. He might be the best safety in the class, but he can also be like your nickel corner. And I think Pete Carroll would love him on their defense. All right, 22, Baltimore, Nikhil Harry. I said it before. I think he's a first-round talent. I think he's awesome. His catch radius uh, will help when you have a quarterback that's erratic like uh, Lamar Jackson. And uh, I could see him being a handful for the Browns for years to come. All right, number 23, Miami traded down 10 spots. They missed on Christian Wilkins, but they do get Cleveland Farrell. I don't really know what to do with Miami right now. They are my hardest team to mock this year because they don't have a quarterback, but it doesn't look like they're in the spot to be taking a quarterback. And it looks like they'd be just be better off like tanking this year and getting a QB next year or in 2021, AKA the Lawrence draft. 
Uh, so what do you do? You get a good edge rusher that you know is a safe pick, a clean pick, and you trade down a couple times and uh, stock up on picks for the next couple years because I think it's going to be a rough year for Miami. Uh, number 24, Oakland. It's their second first-round pick. Now, I think this 24th pick and this 27th pick, I could even flip-flop him if I wanted, but I got him going Noah Fant from Iowa. Uh, he's the best player on the board at this point. They already added an elite defender in this draft, so why not add someone who is possibly an elite mismatch in Noah Fant, who is a, I think, better version of Evan Ingram. Uh, Fant would be great between Tyrell Williams and Antonio Brown on the outside in this new Oakland offense. And if Trenton Brown can protect Derek Carr and they and they find a way to make this offensive line work for the Raiders, I could see uh, Noah Fant being a huge sleeper pick for the Raiders and making them really take a jump to the next level next year. Uh, number 25, I got the Cleveland Browns trading up into the first round, getting the Eagles first round pick and drafting Jeffrey Simmons out of Mississippi State. I don't want this to happen. I think there are really good defensive linemen in this draft. You don't need to go trade up 20 spots, lose a guy like Joe Schobert or Duke Johnson, which it sounds like they're ready to trade these guys in a move, um, lose a second rounder and a second rounder next year and be making all of this just to get a defensive lineman that has a knee injury. I don't like that. I think if Jeffrey Simmons makes it into the 30s, maybe the 40s, you go get him, but not at 25. I think that's going to cost them way too much, and I'm now starting to get slightly concerned with how John Dorsey's going to be spending his money. Uh, I don't want this much money in wide receiver when I've made it abundantly clear that it's more important to protect the quarterback quarterback get after the quarterback and get the quarterback they have baker mayfield now invest in your defensive line offensive line and they are spending a lot of money on wide receivers and they're going to be getting rid of guys like joe schobert duke johnson players that i think can be very helpful on a team right now so i uh i don't really want this to happen but i see jeffrey simmons being the pick anyway because if the eagles don't trade it I like them taking him too because he's a stash the player. He can learn behind another Mississippi State defensive tackle in Fletcher Cox. And uh, look, if the Browns do make the splash pick, that would be huge because Jeffrey Simmons is a beast and could, if he recovers from his injury right, could be one of the best players in the draft. Okay, number 26. I've jumped around with this pick a lot because I think Indianapolis can do go a lot of different routes here. Uh the sexy pick would be wide receiver. You know, Chris Ballard, reward yourself for going safe last year and it working out. But I don't think that's Chris Ballard's style. I think Chris Ballard is going to say, no, 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 no. We are smart. We can wait on wide receiver for next round uh, when we have the Jets pick and our own pick. So we're going to take a wide receiver then, even though we don't really need it because Andrew Luck got us the playoffs with the wide receivers we currently have. And they added Devin Funches, the Funch man. So I think they take Jerry Tillery out of Notre Dame. Uh, Tillery is a flash player, but as some of my favorite analysts say, and Bucky Brooks says it, you uh, grade the flash because you know that's the potential and what that player can do. You don't want to grade what you think they might be able to do if they haven't done it. You want to grade what they've done. And Jerry Tillery 
when he's shown what he can do, he is a tough defensive lineman to block. He is like, he looks like Richard Seymour out there. And I think he could be a huge, huge addition to a defensive front in Indianapolis that was known for their offense last year, but now that they've played it smart and they their winnings in last year's draft and last year's trade down, you're really going to reap the benefits this year when they start to take some elite players from elite positions. Okay, uh, number 27, Oakland back on the clock, Josh Jacobs from Alabama. This is almost as obvious as the Kyler Murray pick. The only reason I think they might take him earlier with that Noah Fan pick is because Marshawn Lynch is retiring and we've only heard Josh Jacobs linked to the Raiders. It's almost like he's already signed there. Uh, but I do think he um, he will get picked by John Gruden. They obviously love him. And uh, with three first-round picks, I think they'll make the splash and go get their running back that they're going to basically make their bell cow. And the reason I like Josh Jacobs here too, not just thinking that it's going to happen, but I like if it happens, he doesn't have the wear and tear a lot of these first-round running backs do have at this point because he was never the starter at Alabama. He's shown the ability at Alabama, but doesn't have wear and tear because he's been behind some really good running backs. All right, number 28, the Chargers going to take Cody Ford. Chargers are a very good team. So... What do very good teams do that have quarterbacks? They either draft their quarterback successor or they add to a strength or they just get the best player available. And in here, I think this does two of those things in Cody Ford. Cody Ford can help them sure up any questions they have on the offensive line. He might be able to play tackle or guard. I think they can plug him in anywhere on their offensive line and be happy. And they're a team that's trying to play for a Super Bowl right now. Uh, I don't think they need to replace a Tyrell Williams because they have found that they can get Tyrell Williams in these late-round picks at wide receiver. So protect Rivers, keep them upright, and uh, Cody Ford will help them do that. Okay, number 29, Cincinnati is trading back into the first round. They're taking Seattle's second pick and giving them a couple... Uh, day two and day three picks to move up and get Drew Locke. Now, it's weird. A lot of people are saying Denver is going to trade up for Drew Locke or, or stay there and get Drew Locke, and Cincinnati is going to go for Dwayne Haskins. I have it the reverse. I have Denver getting really aggressive for uh, Dwayne Haskins, and then Cincinnati saying, you know what? We got the captain of our defense. Let's get Drew Locke to learn behind Andy Dalton. A lot of people scratch their heads saying, well, you already have like a quarterback learning behind Andy Dalton. Uh, this one, Drew Locke, I don't know, it doesn't inspire me a whole ton. But I think with a new coach, you might want that new quarterback around. They don't know Andy Dalton anything. They can cut him loose when they're ready. So they might do that depending upon how far along Drew Locke is. Maybe they trade him to a team with a quarterback problem later. But I think Cincinnati says, you know what, I think it's time to go get our successor Locke has a lot of potential. Could be very good. All right. And number 30. This is where I got Montez Sweat going. Uh, I think he falls all the way to Green Bay. And with Green Bay adding him as well as Andre Dillard, they get a huge first round of protecting the quarterback, but also finding a way to get after the opponent opposing quarterback. They have the second first round pick where they can afford to make this risky pick. 
Uh, I said it before. I think in Oakland, I think of Seattle, and I think of Green Bay and Indianapolis as teams that might be able to make a risky pick with Montez Sweat. Those teams took other possible risks or safe picks, however you want to look at it. But uh, I think Green Bay goes after Montez Sweat, and they get really happy that they took uh, one of these freak defensive ends. Number 31, I got another trade upcoming. Yeah, there's like six trades in the first round this year. Uh, Indianapolis gets back into round one and takes DeAndre Baker, cornerback out of Georgia. I think they look at it as they don't have a lot of holes and they have a chance to add two of the studs of the draft to fill those holes with Tillery and DeAndre Baker. Uh, I think they'd be, that'd be a slam dunk. They only move up a couple spots from that Jets pick, so it doesn't cost them a whole ton. But Ballard gets a little aggressive for two guys that he says, you know what, we need to plug these holes on our defense. Uh, our offense is working really well. We can get a wide receiver later on day two. Uh, we don't need to take one in the first round. And finally, Indianapolis zigging where everyone zags while people are passing on wide receivers saying you can get them later. And, you know, people last year didn't think they'd take a running back in round one, but they took Sonny Michelle. This year they take Marquise Brown out of Oklahoma and people gasp thinking, crap, how do we let possibly the best receiver in the draft fall to 32? Why? Because so many teams wanted to get cute and take a receiver later on day two or possibly day three. The Patriots don't have size of the position, so everyone thinks they're going to take Hakeem Butler. No, they're going to take the best receiver, and they're going to take a guy that can take their offense to another level, Sonny Michelle and Marquise Brown. Marquise Brown is going to be a great pick for them because he could possibly be the game-breaker that the NFL has been waiting for. Uh, he's Deshaun Jackson. He's better than T.Y. Hilton. And he's learned from Antonio Brown being his cousin. And he's been at an Oklahoma offense where he's proven it. If he's healthy, and he should be, he's been you know working his way back from the Liz Frank injury. This is a slam dunk pick for the Patriots. So that's my mock draft. Hope everyone enjoyed it. This was a super long podcast. I don't know why I thought I could ever get this done in a half an hour. It was an hour and a half long. Uh, but I appreciate it. Thank you all for listening. I will not spoil the endgame. Hashtag don't spoil the endgame. I'm going to see it tomorrow. Cannot wait. Enjoy the draft. I will be watching on delay. Hope everyone enjoys their great weekend. Game of Thrones and all. So have a good one and welcome to Season 3 of The Jake.